the people who made these were the, the rank and file, who may, however, have been skilled artisans. Join us for another episode of 100 Years, 100 Objects, stories from Lancaster City Museums. I'm Millie Wellborn, a museum assistant for Lancaster City Museums. In this series, we're looking at 100 objects from Lancaster, Morecambe and the surrounding area to celebrate a century of our museums and to find out more about the past and how we relate to it now. Today we will be discussing an intriguing object which is not only beautiful on the outside but contains dozens of small handcrafted pieces. It displays high level craftsmanship but was also made in rather unusual conditions. Today's object is a games compendium made by a prisoner of war held at Lancaster Castle. The compendium consists of a beautifully decorated box filled with tiny cards and dominoes. The box is made from wood but is clad in ivory or bone edging surrounding 14 small panels, each of which features a painting of a figure, scene or still life covered with glass. It has lost some of the painted panels and bone cladding over the past 200 years, but it is still a beautiful object. The box is only 28 centimetres long but is filled with dozens of cards and dominoes, also made from bone. The dominoes are about four centimetres long, and the cards are only three centimetres, but are hand-painted, including detailed court cards. We spoke to Andrew White, former head of museums in Lancaster, about the box, and who made it. He started by telling us about the people who are believed to have made it, Napoleonic prisoners of war, held at Lancaster Castle. Well, this is a classic piece of... Uh, Napoleonic prisoner of war work uh, made by French prisoners uh, who were held in huge numbers in this country and of course there were huge numbers of English prisoners in uh, in France. From about the 1760s onwards we were almost almost but not quite continuously at war with France right up to 1815. The Napoleonic Wars the latter part of this from the 1790s into 1815 at the Battle of Waterloo when it all came to an end. The war went on in, in a series of bites throughout that time, so about 30 or 40 years, but principally this last period of about 20 years is, is the one we're talking about. Many of the French captured were sailors. They were held all over the place in their thousands. It appears that some were held in Lancaster Castle. There's two items that come from here in this collection which may or may not have come from the castle. But there, there were certainly French prisoners there in 1808, we know for certain. And these French prisoners organised themselves to earn a bit of pin money and probably a better diet because their, their diet must have been awful in prison. <laughs> to do this, they organised themselves in work gangs uh, so that the skilled ones did the clever stuff and the unskilled ones, who were all thumbs, did the, uh, the crude bits underneath that you don't see. They, between them, managed to produce saleable items which could be taken probably to the prison gates and uh, sold to the public in exchange for raw materials and money. We asked Andrew to give us a little bit more detail about the sort of men who would have been held in the prison 
and where they might have come from. Well, there's probably a mixture of soldiers captured on the battlefield, uh, but also a great many sailors, because uh, it was both a naval war and a land war. On the whole, the French were winning on land and the English were winning at sea. There were lots and lots of captured merchantmen, lots and lots of captured sailors from military vessels as well. Uh, A great mix of people who had been largely pressed into service. The French prisoners were certainly the uh, rank and file. They weren't officers. Officers were tended to be paroled and lived in houses, so they had a different treatment altogether. So the people who made these were the, the rank and file, who may, however, have been skilled artisans. So they were people with many different skills back home. And one of the skills... Uh, as far as we can tell, is places like Dieppe uh, were famous for ivory working. And a lot of prisoner of war work is made in ivory or in, uh, in bone. And they were the ones who led the groups, as far as one can tell. So there's a, a hierarchy in these. No doubt they paid themselves as a hierarchy. No doubt they got food as a hierarchy. <laughs> there were benefits in it for someone. Andrew went on to tell us a little bit more about the materials and construction methods used in this compendium and other known prisoner of war pieces. Well, I think these are actually bone. Um, some ships are made of ivory, but this, um, th- this I think, is mostly bone, uh, cut very fine. But traditionally, it's said to be bones from the food ration, from the soup, but A lot of it is of much better quality, I think, than you'd get in a soup ration where it would be cut up into small pieces. And some of the ships that they built were big affairs with lots and lots and lots of bone, planking and so on, and sails. It requires an awful lot of material. So I think what they did was that they, they made these things, sold them to the public, used some of the money to buy new materials at the prison gates and then built more and better. The dominoes, I think, are exquisitely done. They're made of slabs, as you would expect, of bone, cut to a rectangle, marked with drill marks to put the numbers on. Uh, the one I'm looking at, for instance, is a four and a six. Slightly uneven, but they're probably done with a bow drill of some sort in poor prison conditions, and then divided into two with a mark uh, and that dividing line was was filled with red dye of some sort, some of them more clear than others. The actual drill marks giving the numbers uh, were filled with a dark material, which might be ink or soot or something, something readily available. So that's the dominoes. But interestingly, they go up to double nine, not just six which is unusual, and it is said that this was a particularly Lancashire and Northwestern feature, which makes me think that this is made for a local market, which used double nines. Um, Along with these, there's a set of playing cards uh, of 
very thin, also made of bone, and this one that I'm looking at uh, has uh, the jack or knave on it, rather crudely drawn and painted in three or four colours on one side. So they're very teeny little cards. The ones that aren't court cards are also done quite crudely with, in this case, with um, spades. The dominoes are nearly a complete set. The cards are a, an incomplete set. And there's room in there for other things. It looks as though it might have been divided into segments with little push-down dividers. And probably there were dice as well, and a teetotum for choice of trumps or whatever the game was. The lid, uh, you can see the, the wood rather better, which is whatever was available, uh, with a series of little paintings inserted into it. And the same along the sides and ends of this, uh, a rather crude and generalised kind of way, nowhere in particular. This isn't local uh, scenes, this, the, these are just whatever came to mind using the materials they had. But who would be buying these objects and how were the prisoners getting their wares out into the town? Andrew explained how we can make inferences about what was happening in Lancaster from what we know of other towns and prisoner of war goods. Well, there was probably a market at the castle, if this was the castle indeed, and I'm making assumptions, but there were many, many prisons, so many that we don't know. Um, classic places were Norman Cross near Peterborough, which was a huge prison, and Dartmoor Prison, which was built for French prisoners of war. Uh, and uh, while Dartmoor Prison was deliberately away from anywhere, uh, Norman Cross was not, and... Uh, as far as we know, people congregated at the gates to buy stuff like this because they could get it very cheaply, very good workmanship, uh, and the talking point, they must have seen a bargain and gone to the gates and, uh, and paid for it. And some, at least, must have taken with them raw materials and said, can you make me something out of this? Many of them were ships, beautifully made, really beautifully made, uh, and there was also a series of things like mobile guillotines, very uh, suitable for the reign of terror and so on. It, uh, it would have struck a chord in France. In this country, it would have raised a, a feeling of terror because there was always this feeling that France would infect us and we would become revolutionary. So buying a little guillotine, a mobile guillotine, was probably a, a bit of a statement. Uh, I think they were showpieces. Many of the ships were designed so that you could pull a single cord and all the guns would run out simultaneously. They were fully rigged with bone sails and, and uh, silk or whatever for rigging. And there were all these other things that were made, like these games compendia and things like that, or stuff made with split straw, which the French introduced here, hadn't been done before, the, the, the wars, uh, and boxes lined with this dyed split straw which could make amazing patterns doesn't survive terribly well um, because it's a bit fragile but uh, they must have been quite eye-catching at the time and made a nice present as the final hand in our conversation andrew told us what games he thought might have been played with this compendium cards and dominoes basically you know there's, there's basic jobs that you can do with that it's hard to tell because there were games that have gone out of popularity um I suppose there must have been things like bridge and I'm not sure whether whist was 
done then. There are other games that you come across in diaries and so on which have totally disappeared of this period. Thank you for listening to this episode of 100 Years 100 Objects. We do hope you will join us for another round on future episodes where we'll be looking at topics from medicine to music in Morecambe.